Welcome all of you to worship today, and particularly I want to welcome David and Carol Taylor. Um, Carol and I grew up together learning how to do ministry in the church. I was learning how to be a pastor in Louisville in a metro setting, had no idea how to do that. And Carol's had some background in accounting that really went a long way in our church, but she took the position of part-time and then became full-time secretary at the church. So for 35 years, we, we grew up together learning how to minister in the church. And, uh, you know, a, a, a church secretary is not called that anymore. The, the new title is ministry assistant. And uh, that is very true. Um, Anastasia can tell you that she does work for the church all week long, don't you? And Carol did too. One time she got a phone call. I'd been gone to Florida on a vacation with Linda, and I said, hold my calls. And um, she got a call from the adjutant general of the state of Kentucky. Now, I was in the Kentucky Air National Guard, and the adjutant general is a cabinet-level position has to be appointed within 24 hours when the governor is elected because the National Guard has to have some contingency. This guy is a two-star general. And he calls our church. He doesn't have my private number. He calls our church and he said, uh, will you give me uh, Chaplain Curry's phone number? She said, uh, no, sir, I, I can't do that. He said, well, now, this is Ed Tanini. And I'm the adjutant general of the state of Kentucky. And I need the phone number of Chaplain Curry. Well, I, I can't do that, she said. And I mean, this, this ministry assistant is protecting her pastor, right? Third time, he says, Ma'am, I am Major General Ed Tanini with the Kentucky Air National Guard, adjutant general, and I need to speak to Chaplain Curry. And she said... I don't care who you are, I am not giving you his number. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. He did get a hold of me. Carol called me and said, this guy named General Tanini is trying to get a hold of you. I said, put him through. <laughs> Give him my number. It's amazing. Um, the people you meet that you don't know who they are and how they rank in society. And... Um, so we laugh about that. We thank God for that. We are in Luke chapter 24 today, starting in verse 13. And I'm just going to read verses 13 through, um, well, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 16. Because uh, there are two people, two groups of people, that Jesus reveals himself to after the resurrection that Luke talks about in his, um, in his book. And uh, those two groups are the two men called On the Road to Emmaus. It's a little town seven miles out of Jerusalem. And these two followers of Jesus, they're not the 11 apostles, but uh, he names one of them in here, Cleopas. And they're on their way to, on Easter Day, to, uh, to this little town called Emmaus, about seven miles out of town. 
The second group that Jesus reveals himself to in the Gospel of Luke are the 11 apostles. Anybody know why there's 11, not 12? Well, one has committed suicide. And he was the purse keeper and the betrayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was his name? How many children do we name Judas? How many bad, mean dogs do we name Judas? <laughs> okay. So these are the two groups of people that Jesus reveals himself to, and they really see who he is for real. He is truly the same one that hung on that cross and died as the Scripture predicted. He really is the coming Messiah, and they marvel so much that they could not believe it. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage to you from the rest of Luke. It's, it's several verses long, but I do want to hit highlight some scriptures for you as we talk about the subject. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Now, there are two times that that question is asked in the Gospels. One is when Jesus is uh, at the temple, about 12 years old, and the family is going back home after the festival, and they've lost Jesus, and they go back to the temple, and they ask everybody, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? He's about 12 years old. Have you seen Jesus? But now Jesus is raised from the dead, and unless you understand that He is the Christ and the Savior of the world, you may see Him but not know who He is. And I pray today that you have seen Jesus. And like that song that Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty sing, I've just seen Jesus, what's the next line? I'll never be what? The same. I've just... Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it <laughs> like she does. I've just seen Jesus, and I'll never be the same. How many of you have seen Jesus and been born again, having met Him and invited Him into your life? The Scripture says, beginning in verse 13, Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. <clears throat> now these things which had taken place were, was the, the cruel crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and then the discovery of the empty tomb. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began to travel with them. Verse 16 says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus. So Jesus is walking with these two men on the way to Emmaus. And uh, he, he walks up and he kind of joins them on their journey. And, uh, and, they, and, and he said, what are, are y'all talking about? And they said, well, have you been under a rock? Did you not just come from Jerusalem, the same place we've been? Have you not been under a rock? The whole world knows uh, what has happened in Jerusalem. Everybody's talking about it. Where have you been? And, and then Jesus says something that is so cool. What things? What are you talking about? He's wanting these two men to discover the gospel. The news about the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to pull it out of them by asking that question, what things have taken place in Jerusalem? And their response to Jesus is very sad. In fact, Scripture goes on to say that they kind of hung their head because they were in despair. They were sad that they had hopes in Christ that he would be the kind of Messiah they wanted him to be, and he wouldn't be a suffering Savior, but instead would be a conquering king. And here he is being treated cruelly, and here he is suffering inhumane torture and dying on this cross and being buried. And they're leaving in despair, and there's a rumor going around. There's a rumor going around from some women named Mary Magdalene and others that this tomb he was buried in is empty. And nobody's seen him. <laughs> and right there on the road is the very Jesus that was buried in that tomb. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus began to describe to them um, his story, God's story, from the Old Testament books of the prophets and the law and the Psalms. And so these men uh, make their way to home and they say, uh, well, <clears throat> why don't you just stay with us? It's getting dark. And so Jesus said, yeah, I'll come in. I'll come in. And they, they sat down to break bread. And Jesus did something he, with these two on the road to Emmaus that he'd done often with his disciples. He took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it, and then he gave it to them. And the Bible says their eyes were open, their hearts burned within them because they recognized him as being Jesus. Foof! He was gone. <laughs> he just disappeared. I mean, just out of sight. And they're like, wait a minute. We just saw him and now we don't see him anymore. And then after that, uh, they go and find the eleven. Now, we're not sure where Thomas is. Maybe he's there at that time, maybe not. And they go and tell the eleven, and, and they can hardly believe it. And while they're talking about these two on the road to Emmaus have, have seen the risen Christ, um, Jesus boop, shows up <laughs> in the room. Now, friends, the resurrection body that Jesus had to do all that is the kind you're going to have when you get to heaven. Now, you think about that. Think about that. Jesus shows them up in their midst, and he begins to describe to them the gospel about how it was predicted in the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament law, and the book of Psalms, everything about the coming of the Christ or the Messiah. And they realized that it was Jesus. So these are the two groups that Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection. So what are we to take home from these two appearances of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke? One, when you've seen Jesus, you want to stay near to Him. Isn't that what the two on the road to Emmaus said to Jesus? Come with us. Stay with us. We want to know more about you. We want to know more about the kingdom of God. Stay with us, Jesus. Stay with us, Messiah Christ. Stay with us. 
And if you've ever met Jesus, and you know Him to be the Savior of the world in your life, in your heart, there's something about you that wants to stay near to Jesus. You just want to stay near Jesus all the time. I was telling the family this week about young children when they come to Sunday school. They hear stories about Jesus, and they love it. It's like they can't get enough. They want to come back next Sunday. Because children love Jesus. They just want to hear more about Him. Now, when we stay near to Jesus, we find, and if we've already found, we reclaim our true identity. When we stay near to Jesus, we find or reclaim who we really are. We're not the losers, which is how the two on the road to Emmaus felt. Remember how they were sad and they're, you know, they're just kind of like that in posture. They felt like they had lost. We're not losers like these defeated followers. And we are not living in constant fear like the disciples who are hiding out somewhere in an undisclosed location in Jerusalem for fear that they might be crucified as well. We're not losers and we don't live, have to live in fear all the time. Instead, when we are near Jesus, we discover that we are winners. We are winners. Here's your zinger for today. In Christ, we are born again to win. Say it with me. In Christ, we are born again to win. One more time. In Christ, we are born again to win. We have that kind of relationship with God. It's called a vertical relationship where we find out who we are. God created us so that we could live with Him in eternity in His holy heaven. That's why you are here. You're a loser when you've never met Jesus or turned your life over to Him. You're losing out and you're missing out on that eternal life. But when you give your life to Christ, you find out, number one, you're going to live forever. You're a winner over death. And as the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new person, a new creation. All has passed away, and all has become new. That's who you really are. You're a child of God. That's who you really are. Now, you may have a family name, but you have a Christian Christ-like identity. That's who you are. And your real person begins to develop and mature as you stay close to Jesus. I watched a father last week or week before. I watched a father, young father, who was a member of a cowboy church. You know what cowboy churches are? There's cowboy churches in Kentucky. And uh, this young father was a member of, of a cowboy church. His son had come to accept Jesus as personal Savior. And on Easter Sunday, he baptized his son in a pond, in a pond. How many of you got baptized in a pond or creek? Was it cold? It was cold Easter Sunday, wasn't it? And when he got ready to baptize his pond, had his son around his arm. Dad's name was Jay. Jay put his arm around his son. He said, now, son, and mom is filming this like 
you were filming, and you could hear her crying. And this was a grandma, rather. She could just hear her crying. It was such a precious moment. He had his hand around his son and said, Now, son, when you were born from your mama, that was your first birth. But when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again. Now you have a heavenly father, son. Said a few other kind words. And then he just took that son and he lowered him into the water. And he brought that little boy back up out of the water. Everybody rejoiced. Because that child will live forever. He's a child of the king of kings and lord of lords. He's not a loser. He's a winner. And so are we as we give our lives to Jesus Christ. When we stay near to Jesus, we reclaim our true identity. We need to stay close to Him. We need to stay close to each other because when we stay close to each other as a church, that identity develops and matures, and that's why you need the church family. You cannot mature as a Christian apart from fellowship with the family of God. Now let me tell you, these disciples who followed Jesus Christ, they're called the early church, they paid a heavy price to just stay together. They didn't, they didn't meet in a cowboy church, they met in a catacomb church. You know what a catacomb is? Under the underground were these uh, burial places in Rome and other places, and they would bury the dead down there. These were graveyards underground. They were called catacombs. And the Christians met secretly in the evenings when it was dark in the graveyard. These catacombs. And they sang their hymns. We have them in the New Testament. They recited the scriptures. They had fellowship with each other, but they met in secret. Most of them were slaves. Most of them were slaves. And they met secretly underground during the Roman persecution. When we stay together with the Lord, we want to stay together with each other. We want to become ministers. We want to reach out, minister to others. We're no longer inwardly focused, but we are outwardly focused. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, you want to do something for other people. I don't know why my mouth's so dry. I think I'm nervous. Our director of missions and his wife are here. It's very stressful up here right now. Very stressful. Steve, we're, Tammy, we're glad you're here. I told him coming in the door a while ago, I said, if I'd known y'all was going to be here, I'd have prepared a good sermon. <laughs> Met a fellow one time at a Baptist meeting. He had on a nice blue suit. But it was an old blue suit. I mean, just about worn out. And uh, when I went to shake the old man's hand, I looked to see his light blue shirt collar, just the same color I got on. And, you know, after a while, you wear a shirt so long, it's raveled right here. It's coming apart. And his was raveled around here. The old suit was way out of date and old. I went to shake his hand, and then that blue shirt, just like my blue shirt here, was so unraveled, 
He'd worn it so many times, had it cleaned so many times. It was raveling, right, un- unraveling right there. And uh, I said, how are you? I'm Tom Curry. And very kindly, he said, my name is John. How are you, John? And I walked on. Come to find out this kind old gentleman was the man who greeted you at the front door of a Baptist church in Houston, Texas. Not a big church. Just an average-sized church in Houston, Texas. His wife, Eula May, taught Sunday school. Taught Sunday school for 40, 50 years. She's even published a book of her uh, Sunday school lessons. Eula May. John and Eula May. You ever heard of a company named Cisco Foods? He was the founder of Cisco Foods. A $33 billion company. $33 billion company. Donated more money than anybody else to Baylor. Anybody watch the NCAA championships? Go Baylor Bears, right? He was the single largest donator to Baylor University. And started another Baptist college as a founding member. But when you met him, he was going to minister to you out of kindness, compassion, welcome you to his church, and say, come on in. We're glad you're here. Number two, when we meet Jesus and when we follow him, our faith is going to be tested. Jesus said to the two on the road to Emmaus in verse 25, He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. In verse 38, it says, While they were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of those eleven. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, Hear this, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It's I, myself. Touch me. See, spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as that, that, that you see that I have. And then they had fish tacos. They had broiled fish, and they had those. Remember those? That's what they had, folks. Fish tacos. Jesus invites us to trust him as we follow him. Faith is, has also a companion, rather. Faith has a companion called doubt. I always thought I wanted to be a person of great faith. But I've come to learn through life there are times when I worry. When I'm worrying, I'm not believing and trusting. I've also come to learn there are times I want to quit. When I'm not, when I'm not dedicated and committed, uh, committed, then I'm not trusting. That's called faith. Faith is trust. Trust is faith. Faith and doubt or distrust, they're like companions. And it was true of the two on the road to Emmaus, and it was true of the eleven disciples. And we don't know where John was at that time, but the Gospel of John said he was the missing man. He came in late. I don't know if he was out getting a frappuccino down at the Starbucks or where he was in Jerusalem. But he came back in, and when he came back in, he said, I want to see your hands 
I want to touch your side. And Jesus invited him to do so. And before he could touch him, John said what? My Lord and my God. The Bible is filled with great heroes of our faith that have often doubted. One's Abraham. He doubted that God could give him a child. His wife laughed. Moses doubted, and because he doubted, he didn't get to enter the promised land. Thomas doubted until he had some physical evidence. And Paul will tell the church at Corinth, he was a church planner at Corinth, we want you to know, now hear this dedicated Christian. I think of the Apostle Paul as the, 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 the ultimate dedicated missionary, minister, Christian, whatever. He said to the church in 2 Corinthians, We want you to know our affliction, which came to us in Asia Minor, that we were burdened excessively. You ever been burdened excessively? Burdened beyond being burdened? He said, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of our life. We thought we would die. You see, the key to greater trust and overcoming doubt is to just take one more step forward and stay close to Jesus. Sometimes we feel alone. But the truth is, when you get next to Jesus, it's impossible to be alone. For God has chosen to live in you. The God who raises the dead people live in you. Think about that. You're not alone. You'll never be abandoned. And thank you for that beautiful song you sang. You can trust Him. The Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul said, dwells in you. The God who raises the dead dwells in you, believer. Sometimes we feel foolish. I say dumb things from the pulpit once in a while. Speaking of last year. Truth is, we have a relationship with God who is wisdom from above. Two kinds of wisdom the Bible talks about. Wisdom from below, wisdom from above. Wisdom from below is uh, educated guessing. Wisdom from above is very God revealing to you and me truth. Sometimes we feel unloved. But the truth is the God of all love and comfort abides in us. The Bible says God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who does not abandon you, who will never leave you, who loves you with an eternal love, so much so that He would die for you, loves you. And then sometimes we feel like we don't measure up. We're never good enough. Truth is, Jesus is the perfect one who is perfecting you and me. That's called sanctification. He thinks you are worth the supreme act of love, dying on a cross. He became sin, the Bible says, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Thirdly, when you've seen Jesus, you'll want others to see Him too. In verse 45, the Bible says, 
He then opened their minds to understand the Scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, proclaimed, proclaimed in his name to all ethnos, all ethnicities, all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Now you see where it ties into Acts. You shall be my witnesses here in verse uh, 48 in Acts 1. Luke writes Acts. Acts 1, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. That's cross-cultural. And the uttermost parts of the earth. People you don't even know exist. It's amazing. Jesus has given us an assignment. And that's our number one purpose as a church to spread the gospel. We're planning to do that here at Ekron Baptist Church. And um, in front of your bulletin, you see the little logo. And Anastasia is really good. She put that on there just like that. Isn't it nice? You're going to see that till you're sick and tired of seeing it. Sometime in August and September, we're going to go out. Before that, we're going to have 40 days of prayer. And we've got team members that are getting together. We're getting organized. We're going to be ready to go. And I felt this morning, with Jeff sharing with us about Sunday school direction, I don't know if I can hold y'all back until August. I don't know. One thing I just got to say. Later this morning, I noticed that when Jesus revealed the gospel to the first group, the two on the road to Emmaus, they saw him. When Jesus revealed the gospel to the 11 apostles, their eyes were opened and they saw him. Without exception, most every time I have shared the gospel with anyone and they will let me do it, it's, it's as if the, the birds hush. I've even seen people used to be able to say, would you go turn off the TV while we talk about the gospel? I've seen people get up and turn off the TV. Young people. You don't, you don't hardly see that. I've seen them put down their gadgets and, and listen. It's like a holy hush comes over the conversation when you have a gospel conversation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is at work when you present the gospel. God loves you. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for our sins. Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And if you will believe in Him and trust in Him, you can be forgiven of sin. Jesus will be your Lord and you'll live forever and ever. Did you notice how quiet it is when I told that? even in here. I shared it with a man right behind the kitchen door here outside this week. He's one of those people that's always in a hurry. That's his job, to be in a hurry. I ran back in, got him a Pepsi, and got him a, a Billy Graham track, and he let me read it to him. 
and the clock was ticking. When we go out to share the gospel with people, we go in the authority of the risen Savior, the God who raises the dead, Paul said. So let me ask you these questions in conclusion. Does anybody here besides me need to set aside some things that distract me and you from seeing Jesus at work around us? Does anybody here besides me struggle with trusting God and resting well? Carol, that was my sin at Parkland. I wasn't trusting God. I was trusting me. Does anyone here besides me have seasons of despair? Seasons where we're tempted to give up on God, give up on the church, give up on our give up on our commitments, maybe even our covenants with others. When Sandy and Larnell sing, they say, as if till now I had never lived. All that I'd done before won't matter anymore. I've just seen Jesus. And I'll never be the same. And all the people said, Amen. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us through the gospel. When somebody told us about your love, our sin that's keeping us out of heaven, your sacrifice that's getting us into heaven, made it possible. And now, Lord, we trust you and believe. That's what you're asking us to do. And I pray right now that there'll be a young person, there'll be an adult, that somebody here will come forward this morning and sit on this front row and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe there's somebody who wants to unite with our church from a sister church of like faith and order. We invite them to come. Lord, you've made charge now this invitation. I've done all I can do. Cheers from here on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.